You're listening to the Better Health Podcast with April, a platform dedicated to coaching women in areas of health, lifestyle, and legacy by speaking with leading health and wealth experts and with the goal to inspire women to thrive in their lives today and in the future. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Better Health. On today's show, I'm speaking with Parijat Deshpande, and she helps women through pregnancy who have been through previous loss, trauma, and prematurity. This is going to be a great topic to address, and she has so much knowledge. Welcome to the show, Parijat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, April. Thank you. So to, to get us warmed up right away, I'd love to know, first off, where are you from and what was your childhood and family like in regards to health? Oh yeah. So I was born and raised in California. Um, and my parents immigrated here from India. And so my childhood was, um, I think related to health. It was actually quite interesting. I dove into kind of the medical field very early on because of health issues that I had even as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I started getting really familiar with the health world, the medical world, medications and illnesses and all that from a very young age. And so I felt like I was very comfortable um, in there. And um, I think it was pretty standard though for what immigrants in the United States at that time of life knew about what healthy eating was like, which is very different than what we know it is now. (laughs) And, And just, you know, a lot of I think one of the things that I'm recognizing that's really different also now is there was much more uh, opportunity to play outside. And so there's a lot of outside time and a lot of activity, just like, just be outside. Not a lot of um, planned activity necessarily that I can remember, but more of just be outside and go. (laughs) And I I can relate hundred percent where, you know, I tell my mom or dad, I'm bored. We'll go outside. That was exactly (laughs) <laughs> yep, I knew what to expect. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. Yeah, I think it's so important, you know, tapping into getting outdoors for health. And it's something that we're getting, we're doing less and less of and without even realizing that it is affecting our health and in more yeah. ways than one. So it's a great reminder to, that you brought that up. And how old were you when you moved to the United States from India? I was born here. Oh, so God. my parents God. immigrated God. here before they were married. That's right. You did clarify that. I think that's so cool though, um, to have that background. And I'm sure you experience a lot of amazing Indian cooking. <laughs> yes. And it is quite a feat to live up to my mom's cooking for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I love like, you know, curries, anything um, Indian food. So mm. do you have a lot of options where you are? Um, in Colorado, definitely in regards to Indian food. I mean, there are few options, definitely more than when I was living in Wisconsin. I'll tell you oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> this is so, true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I love to cook. So I oftentimes will just make my own Indian food if I'm going to have it. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so I know you tapped a little bit into how you started getting into health at a young age, um, but what ultimately got you into it? Do you want to dive into a little more detail on that? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting trajectory. So you know, that world was very familiar to me as just having been the patient from a very young age. And then my best friend who I'm still, she's like my person, um, still (laughs) her dad is an OBGYN and I was 
fascinated from a very young age. And, you know, as um, just to fill into the stereotype, Indian parents want you to either typically be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. (laughs) And so when they saw me kind of going towards this medical field and specifically OBGYN, they were like, yes, we're winning as parents. (laughs) And um, I, I was just fascinated. And for the longest time through you know, upper elementary through junior high, through high school, that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to become an OBGYN. And then I went to college and my very first class, I still remember 9 a.m. on a Monday was chemistry. And I went, yeah, it's not going to work out. (laughs) Push that off to the side. (laughs) I really wanted it to work. And so I put all my energy into that class. And um, meanwhile, on the side, I was taking psychology courses because I really enjoyed that from when I was in high school. I thought, okay, sure, I'll take type psychology as well. Mm-hmm. And that came very easily to me. And chemistry then really, really did not come easily to me. And so by the end of that first year, I just went, okay, reality check. Like, mm-hmm. do you really want to feel this way for the rest of your life? or at least for the next many years through your training, or do you want to lean into what's coming more easily to you? Mm -hmm. And so I decided at that point to go into psychology. And um, my plan was, again, my plan was developmental psychology. I loved doing work with infant development. And then life had other plans and I ended up in clinical psychology, which I never thought I would do. But the whole time there was just this thing in the back of my head of, what about women's health? What about women's health? How do I bring that in? I just, I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of my training, um, you know, I'd gotten married and we knew that we would have trouble starting our family. We were not one of those couples that tried for a year or two years and like, what's going on? Like we knew because of some of the health issues I had. And so we dove into fertility treatment really early And I experienced uh, my first loss with our first round of fertility treatment. It was a ruptured ectopic, which for your listeners, if they're not familiar, is when the embryo implants outside of the uterus, usually in the fallopian tube, but sometimes in other places in the pelvic cavity. And it was the first time we realized, uh, wow, Mm -hmm. this, we, we knew that miscarriage was possible, but we did not at all anticipate that a threatening to my, it would be threatening to my life to try to, to grow our family. And so that was very eye-opening for us. And so the next, um, next time we tried again, we did our first round of IVF and I got pregnant again. And it was that pregnancy that really pushed me into this work that I do now, because I, I finally found my spot in the medical field, not as a doctor, but as somebody on the outside, filling in the gaps Uh, that are present inside the medical system, specifically for women who are struggling to stay pregnant and who are fighting to bring this baby home. So this little roundabout kind of curvy path is is how I I made it here. That's amazing. So it's so great to hear the background because it has such an influence on where you end up in life when what you actually are doing and who you're serving. And so the fact that you went through that, you know, the pain that women experience all over and it's so common and um, your message is so necessary and, and how you serve others is so necessary. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's really amazing. And so just to dive in, dive into what you actually do, um, in what ways do you help women with their pregnancy? What does that look like? Yeah. So 
The best way I can explain it is to kind of share where, again, where this work came from a little more deeply. So when I was pregnant after IVF, I developed my first complication before I even knew I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it just snowballed from there. The whole pregnancy, I just developed more and more complications. I was on bed rest from week six at home. And, you know, I was this person who loved being busy. I liked working. I liked being social. I liked being out in the world. And I couldn't do any of that from early on. Mm -hmm. And I certainly chose that, right? Because I wanted to do everything I could to, to save this baby's life. And also it was extremely challenging. And as the complications started piling up, I remember I was about, I'm gonna say like 15, 16 weeks along. Mm -hmm. And I was at home. I had been at home for about 10 weeks or so. And I was so anxious. I was so scared because I didn't want to lose this child. Right. And I'm not typically an anxious person. And so I was like, okay, well, clearly I need to do something because this can't be good for me or for baby and nothing in my toolbox that I had learned in my training was helping. Mm. And I went, that's kind of when the seed was planted and I went, that's interesting. I just spent all these years in my training learning how to address anxiety. And now that I'm the patient, I know what, if I went to say a a traditional psychotherapist or a psychologist, I know what they would say to me. And now as a patient, I realize that's not at all what I need. Mm -hmm. And so that seed was planted. It was when I landed in the hospital at 22 weeks and four days, I was three centimeters dilated already. And I noticed that when my anxiety was up, when I was scared, when I was worried, my whole body would tense up and you could see the contractions on the monitor. And when I was able to address my body, not my thoughts, not what was, not what was going on in my head, but when I could actually release that pent up survival stress from my body and release it from my body, the contraction stopped. And you could see it on the monitors. I could see it. My husband could see it. The nurses could see it. The doctors could see it. And so when I landed in the hospital, because I already developed, I think, five complications by that point, my, my medical team was like, we don't think this is going to work. And they really were trying to prepare us for losing our son because it was just too soon. They gave us 72 hours and it was just too soon. Yeah. And I said, okay, you give me everything you've got medically. I'm saying yes to all of it. Let's do it. Yeah. And I will do this, this part. I will keep my body in this place of complete and total um, release of tension. Mm-hmm. And let's see what happens. And they didn't believe me. They right. were very kind and very supportive, but they didn't believe me because they, they hadn't seen this go any other way. Right. And they gave me 72 hours and we got 15 days. Wow. And 15 days was long enough to give my son a chance at life. Wow. And that's why I do this work. And so the work is very body-based. I moved away entirely from all my training that I had received because I knew for this particular population, mm-hmm. your thoughts aren't the problem. Mm-hmm. They're just a red flag going, your body thinks mm-hmm. you're being chased by a bear. Yeah. We've got to get you to feel safe being pregnant. Right. You've got to start feeling safe around your medical team. We've got to help you feel safe going into labor and delivery. All of that happens on the body level. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do. And in doing that, not only do my clients feel safer, they feel calmer, Mm -hmm. but it actually creates physiological shifts in the body to be able to reduce your risk of complications, including preterm delivery. And 
And that's why I'm here. Wow. That is so powerful. And it's crazy how you were able to just defy the odds of like, you know, they were expecting that it was not going to turn out well, that you were going to possibly lose the child. And just through understanding how stress affects the body and all of that, you were able to defy that, defy those odds and the thoughts that were going through everyone's minds. So that's so powerful. Um, And you, you dove a little bit into how stress and anxiety and all of that can play into, you know, um, having an early pregnancy, whatever that may be. What are some of the other effects that stress and anxiety have on a woman who is carrying a child? Yeah. So if I can just nerd out for a second, when we talk about stress, it's not what's going on in your head. Stress is a physiological chain reaction that happens on a cellular level Mm. that kickstarts an entire kind of shift in your body with the only goal to keep you alive and safe. Mm. That's what stress means. And, and I think that's really important to talk about because we use that term incorrectly usually in our day-to-day language, but to understand it from a physiological perspective actually makes all the difference when it comes to especially work during pregnancy, because the changes that happen to your nervous system, when your brain identifies a threat in the case of myself or with my clients, that threat is often being pregnant, going to a doctor's appointment, doing an ultrasound, being in the hospital, doing blood work. Like those are, those are the bears, right? Girl things too, that every yes. pregnant woman experiences. That's right. Exactly. Those are not things we can get away from. Right. And so those are the things that your body or your brain identifies as a threat. Mm. And what it does specifically for pregnancy is it shifts everything in your body, all body systems shift, right? But specifically what we're interested in for pregnancy is your endocrine system, which is tied to your hormones and your immune system, which is what is often tied to inflammation. Those three, the nervous system, the endocrine system, the immune system have to be in a very particular balance in pregnancy that is different than what it is outside of pregnancy. It has to shift Mm-hmm. And it has to be in a particular balance to support a healthy pregnancy. And when there is a body that is living with chronic stress or traumatic stress, it can show up as anxiety. It can show up as fear. Mm-hmm. It can show up as anger. It can show up as what we call depression or those kind of depressive symptoms. It shows up in a lot of different ways. It adjusts and shifts your nervous system, which shifts your endocrine and your immune system out of that balance that we need for a healthy pregnancy, setting you up for or risks for pregnancy complications like preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, preterm contractions, um, preterm labor, PPROM, which is preterm premature rupture of membranes, and and many others like that. And that's why this work is so important. Mm, Wow. Yeah. It's crazy the effects it has. And so I'm thinking about, you know, those that end up having an early term birth, um, or end up going into like a C-section, would you say that this is a huge, if not the main culprit of all that? Uh, I would not say it's the main culprit, but I like to think of it like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And so we have lots of different factors playing into this. We've got underlying medical issues that you might already have that put you at increased risk of complications as it is. Um, things like possibly age or um, you know other 
health complications that arise during pregnancy, for example. And then this is also one of those pieces of the puzzle. So when you've got all of that put together in this almost like perfect storm, you get this complete puzzle that kind of helps you understand, oh, that's why. That's that's why this all happened because I've got all of these factors, including this neuroendoimmune imbalance that happened because of something uh, a bot because I was living in a body that was either under chronic stress or living with um, traumatic stress. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great picture to understand where it's like, it's not just one thing. There are multiple factors that you have to take into consideration. So yeah, understanding that, you know, all of that plays a role in how your pregnancy ends up and the results of how the birth goes. What are some steps to get your neuroendo in balance, in balance and in check and to kind of just what, what can women do? Yeah. It's, you know, that's a difficult question to answer kind of globally because our bodies are so different. And I think that's one of the issues that we have in our current medical system is we try to fit everybody into a box and you go, this is what you need to do. (laughs) And we all know now as patients in one form or another, but that doesn't work for me or that doesn't work for me. And and so different genetic makeup, like exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Down to things like what diet works for you or what type of exercise work for you. It really is very, very different. And so that's why it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because really the answer is it depends on your body, which I realize is really frustrating to hear, oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so where I often recommend people start is first acknowledge that this is happening, Mm -hmm. right? Come out of the model of stress is my thoughts. And therefore, if I think more positively and if I can just buck up and just kind of get it together, everything will be fine, (laughs) right? That is where I, I kind of encourage people to start and to turn your attention to your body and go, where is it showing up? How is it showing up? How do I know uh, that there is either the impact of chronic stress or traumatic stress or traumatic loss that is affecting my nervous system, which is shifting these other body systems right now? How is that showing up? And get really curious about that. Once you can find that, then the doors start to open about, okay, well, what does my body need and how can I address it? Is it a different diet? Is it more exercise? Is it, um, I don't, I mean, I don't, there's so many different things, right? And so for example, I have a lot of clients who have a history of hypertension. They had some kind of hypertensive disorder during pregnancy. And then even after delivery, it continued and there was no medical explanation as to why doctors were confused. They don't, I don't know what's going on. We don't know. Let's keep an eye on it. And so that automatically puts them at increased risk in their next pregnancy, certainly. Right. And so we start looking at, okay, is this your body's way of expressing the traumatic stress that's in your body, meaning a nervous system that is frozen in functioning in survival mode? Mm -hmm. And is this how it's showing up? And so when we can do that, we identify that, then we know, okay, let's start with bringing your blood pressure down. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different ways to do that, depending on each body type. As that comes down, you start restoring balance and things start working again and you start feeling different. You start feeling better. Mm -hmm. Totally. Wow. And so I'm thinking about you, how you, if you have experienced, you know, 
trauma in earlier pregnancies, and then you went through another pregnancy later on, how, what are the steps that you took to address that trauma and to release it so that your next pregnancy, or maybe you're planning another one in the future. So those future pregnancies are not holding on to that. That's a good question. And honestly, I don't think I did Mm. a very good job honestly. And I think that did play a part. If I look at my puzzle for my second pregnancy, I think that piece of that puzzle was still there. I do believe that. And I, and I think if I were to take what I know now and go back and do it again, I would handle it very differently. Mm -hmm. I would spend a lot more time on my body and spend that time when I was physically recovering from that surgery, which took several months, I would then also add on more time to heal my body from a body-based perspective, which is what I teach now, instead of, um, thinking, well, I'm on a clock and I've got to get this done. My window is closing. I mean, I was very young when I started fertility treatment, but because of my underlying health issues, we had a very tight window and, um, and I would really kind of shift my perspective there. And there is always a part of me that wonders, you know, thankfully I was able to get an extra 15 days. Could I have gotten more Mm. if I had known what I know now back then I, and we'll never know. And, and I'm at peace with that. But that's why I find it to be so important to talk about this now, to educate women when they're in that interim period mm-hmm. of why this is so important now and why that work needs to continue during your next pregnancy too. Mm, definitely. So when women come to you to work specifically with you, what does a plan entail? I mean, I know it's different for everyone, yep. but what are some of the core pillars you look at and then steps you take to those? Totally. Yeah. So the work, um, I love you that you use the word pillars. That's exactly how I picture it in my head. (laughs) So, so one pillar is releasing the traumatic stress, the traumatic loss, the grief, all of that from their bodies. That's one pillar. Another pillar that often happens in parallel that we address Mm -hmm. is creating a really tight blueprint, meaning Mm -hmm understanding what got you here, what happened last time. Cause I find there's a lot of women where they're told we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we don't know from my perspective means we haven't found it yet. Mm-hmm. It's not in our kind of standard protocol checklist sheet thing mm-hmm. of what, how to explain what happened. We have to dive deeper. We've got to look outside the box. And sometimes we've got to look outside that box to find some of these answers. So we need to figure out what happened and get as close to an answer as possible. Mm-hmm. And then really understand how that influences your current health between pregnancies and how it impacts your prenatal care in your next pregnancy. Mm. And that includes, do we need to change your medical team? Do we need to find new specialists? Do you need to get a second, third, fourth opinion? Do you need to do new blood work that wasn't offered to you before? You know, So we dive really deep into that. And those are two pillars that usually happen in parallel when we first start our work together. And then the third pillar is how to actually take that into supporting your pregnancy because you can only do so much trauma healing work outside of pregnancy. But once you are pregnant, there are body memories that come up that you cannot anticipate that come up only because you have that sensation of pregnancy that Mm -hmm. we have to address at that point. And that includes then also um, helping you really trauma-proof your labor and delivery so that no matter the circumstances, you feel safe bringing this child into the world. Mm -hmm. And so those are the three pillars that we work on over the course of the journey from conception to homecoming. Wow. That's amazing. That's, 
it's great to take that overview of what actually occurs and what do we need to look at? Because it's not just one little area. There's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of different factors in Absolutely. So how can someone support, um, maybe it's a friend, how can a friend support a woman that is going through that pregnancy and trying to release the trauma or maybe a spouse? How can those outsiders support those that are going through it? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I often recommend is trust her Mm -hmm. because she's rebuilding her own trust in her own body. I can speak from personal experience too. That trust really erodes in your own self and in your body when you go through all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so trust her when she says something's not right, when she feels she's telling you she's anxious, when she's telling you she's scared, um, she's not overblowing it and she's not exaggerating. She's not stuck in the past. She's not, you know, unable to let things go there's something going on and to take her seriously. And if she can't advocate for herself uh, for any number of reasons, speak up on her behalf, especially if you are a partner of hers, you know, if you're able to go to appointments, I know with COVID right now, there are a lot of restrictions around that. So if you can be on the phone or FaceTime in for those appointments to know for her to know that there is another person there in real time who can speak up and ask questions if she can't think of it or if she's scared, I think that's so, so, so important. Um, But really just trust her that, you know, she's not stuck. There's nothing wrong with her. She's not broken. She's doing really, really hard work. Mm -hmm. And so to allow for that space for compassion and and just non-judgmental support, even if you may not understand what she's going through, to just have that really unconditional love and support and acceptance for her as she's doing this work, I think is so important. Definitely. And I love how you you stated that ask the questions for her because there's so many times where yes, you may have all these questions, but when it comes down to the moment when you are in um, that you know situation that brings you a little bit of anxiety, it's like your brain just clouds up and you can't think mm-hmm. of those. And so you need to have someone there that can kind of hold that you together in a way and be willing to speak up on your behalf because yeah. that's a struggle for women. It is exactly. And this is why when we talk about that second pillar of the blueprint, so mm-hmm. much of my work and my time is spent with my clients, preparing them for appointments and then processing what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. Because when we have a history of trauma on the family building journey, oftentimes one of those traumas is medical trauma, meaning being in the doctor's office, doing the ultrasound, getting the blood work, like waiting for test results, being around a doctor or a nurse or a PA, you know, those things can be very triggering. And so the more that we can do that preparation ahead of time, both for her and for her partner's sake, if she has a partner, they're going in way more ready to have those conversations. And it's not just about what to ask, but how to ask and how do you keep your body in a place where your head doesn't get cloudy, right? Because you're totally right. When when you get triggered, there's a reason why thought processes go out the window because we don't need that for survival. And so how do we maintain that sense of safety in the room during the ultrasound, during the blood work, during the consultation to get your questions answered in a way that you leave with more answers than questions Mm -hmm. and all of that. There's just so many layers to that, but it's totally possible and very doable. hundred percent. And it's great to think about, okay, why do I experience trauma when I am going to the doctor's office? And, you know, so many forget to think about, okay, as a child, what experiences did I have? And that 
totally ends up affecting you as an adult in your experience and the the heightened sense of anxiety. Because you may be like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I grew out of the phase of crying when I get a shot, but you still might experience anxiety from getting a shot. And so it just looks differently now. Absolutely. I love that you shared that. Yeah. Cause I would say shots for myself. I'm, there's something I totally fear, like getting blood drawn, all of that. And as a child, like pain, I did not take well to it. And so getting a shot was horrible for me. And I would like freak out as a child. And so now today, yeah, I don't freak out the same way I did, but I, I like, I still want to cry. I still experience like this, this almost anxiety inside. And it's, thinking back to what it was like as a child, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a visceral response, isn't it? It's yeah. not like you're sitting there going, oh, remember that time when I got that shot and I was really scared. It's It bypasses thoughts entirely. And it is a very visceral response where your brain goes, nope, <laughs> this is terrifying. Nope. And now I'm going to show in all the different ways, right? So the nervous system changes and that changes your breathing and it changes your heart rate and it changes your hormones and it changes your digestion. All of those changes happen instantaneously. And it absolutely is not anything to do with how you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's a visceral automatic response that happens. And for women who are going through this as they're say trying new fertility treatments, you know, starting a new cycle or they're newly pregnant, it's all happening exactly the same way. And here, what we want to be sure of is that it doesn't stay there and ultimately impact the health of your pregnancy. Mm, definitely, because it totally does. And, mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm thinking about listeners that are sitting there thinking, okay, yeah, I'm not pregnant yet, but it's something that I'm going to be doing very soon. And I already experience a sense of anxiety with certain situations or um, an overload of like, thoughts and trauma or stress. So what would you say to those listeners and any tips or thoughts that you have? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to start with those first two pillars, Mm -hmm. right? Work on healing that trauma as best as you can, knowing that you will have to continue that work during pregnancy. It's not a one and done thing, right? Mm -hmm. So start there. And number two is start looking for answers. Because part of what I'm, I'm noticing is part of one of the triggers for this trauma response for women who've had a complicated family building journey is the not knowing. Mm-hmm. And often when we don't know or we don't have enough answers, we tend to blame ourselves because there's nowhere else for that attention to go. There are no other answers. There's no other explanation. And so you go, well, maybe I did it. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I caused this, right? And so I would start with both of those. Dive deeper. Go and, and you know, dive deeper, both for your healing work and for finding out exactly what happened and start laying that blueprint. Mm, definitely talking through it with somebody and, or go to counseling. It's crazy how counseling can like unearth so many different things. And you can talk through those, those traumas and then ultimately release it. And so there's so many different resources that can be utilized and you don't have to store it up. You don't have to think it's your fault and um, just lock it up and then it never, you never get rid of it. Absolutely. And if I can add just one quick thing about that, if you are going to speak with a counselor, a psychologist, a a psychotherapist, um, be sure that they are trauma trained Mm. because 
most uh, mental health providers are not. I was not. My original training was not trauma-informed because most of it is not. And the, and the reason that's important is because what we now know about traumatic stress is we cannot talk or think ourselves out of it. Mm-hmm. You have to release it from a, a body-based perspective first. The narrative comes after, which I, again, totally recognize that is not my, what my initial training was. And it was not, it was only because of this personal experience and the additional training afterwards that I was able to actually articulate that. And so I'd be very mindful of who you are working with and be sure that they are very familiar with specifically what you have been through, because otherwise that can be a re-traumatizing moment as well to have to constantly be re- like re-explaining, re-explaining, mm-hmm. uh, which is all the things that I went through, which is why I created the program that I did, because I could not find that person who actually spoke the language as well and knew um, knew what we were talking about. So that was just one thing I want to be sure your listeners are aware of. That is so important. And so many, including myself, didn't even think to think through that. Oh, are they, you know, trained in trauma and addressing it in certain ways really matters. Wording matters and um, having a clear grasp on what that looks like is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, As we start to wrap up, are there any huge takeaways that you would like to tell listeners in regards to this topic? I think the biggest thing that was my personal takeaway that I now see playing out with all of my clients is you have more influence on the outcome of your pregnancy than you are made to believe Mm. because standard medical care, if we again, think back to that puzzle image does not include this piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And so standard medical care is giving you an incomplete puzzle. It is an essential part of the puzzle. Don't get me wrong. We need it. All of my clients need, you know, are the hospital birthing, need a lot of medical interventions kind of clients, right? As I was, Mm -hmm. Um, we need that. And also there is this piece of the puzzle where when we put it in together, you can actually optimize your health, your body to influence and improve what the statistics are saying about what your outcomes can be. It's not magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not specialized to just me because, oh, I just did it or my clients because they're special. It's literally because when we can follow physiology, when we understand how the body works, we can actually tap into the parts of our body that are meant to support us during pregnancy, it is absolutely possible. So as you're collecting this information, as you are going back and trying to figure out what happened and you're hearing, because I know you will, you're hearing the likelihood of this complication happening again, preterm delivery happening again, what those outcomes can look like. Take that with a grain of salt and go, and if I add this piece of the puzzle to it, those odds probably drop because I see it happen all the time. And it's based in physiology. There's tons of research behind it. And so please remember that you do have a lot more power than you're being made to believe about what those outcomes can look like. A hundred percent. And it's like just taking responsibility over your health, being your own investigator, because no one knows your body like you do. Yes. So, I mean, you just need to do the research on yourself. What pain are you experiencing? Because only you know what that pain is not the person next to you, not the doctor, they can help and they can guide, but you know your body the best. Yep. Huge takeaway right there. Very key. So as we start to wrap up, now we have the rapid fire questions. (laughs) First one off for you is who's the most influential woman in your life? They can be past, present, 
you can know them, maybe you didn't know them. No, no um, answer is a wrong answer. Uh, gosh, there are actually so many, but the first woman who came to mind when you asked this, I'll go with that answer, is my paternal grandmother, mm. who I did not know very well because she died when I was very young, but of the years that I did know her and the stories that I've heard about her, uh, she is just has the incredible embodiment of breaking the rules and questioning the status quo and doing what's right to optimize your life, which in her generation back in India was like, what are you doing? And I just find that to be so cool. That is so awesome. And it's, we need people that are going to question um, things that are brought up because don't just accept it, question it. Yes. You'll never know until you question it. So true. Oh man. I love it. I love it. All right, next one. What is your favorite food? Oh, it's sushi. Oh man, I'm like, <laughs> so much. <laughs> totally. And then, are you a past, present, or future thinker? Future thinker, mm-hmm. definitely. <laughs> I'm always thinking ahead as well, so I'm with you there. <laughs> yes. And then, what is your favorite travel destination or a dream destination you have? Oh my gosh, right now I want to travel everywhere. <laughs> I know, everyone I've talked to, as myself included. <laughs> yes. Um, I think if I think back, a couple of my most favorite destinations have been Italy and Costa Rica. Oh. Um, they really stand out to me, and I would definitely like to go back to both places. Yes, definitely. I've been to Italy, so I know what you're, I know what you're saying. (laughs) I mean, pictures just don't do it justice. Seriously, Joe. And then the food is just, if you get that true authentic food with like local ingredients, oh, it blows everything out of the water. Right? I couldn't eat Italian food for like six months when I came back. (laughs) I just like, I don't want to ruin it. Ruin everything. Like (laughs) like the fresh olive oil. Oh man. Mm. So good. Well, we'll have to, well, I guess we'll just have to go to Italy sometime. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and then the last one, are you a reader? And if so, what are you eating, reading right now? I am a reader. And um, right now I am actually starting Gone Girl is my fiction. Okay. From like years ago, I saw the movie um, and I was like, okay, I think it's time to read the book. <laughs> Some list. All righty. Yes. Sounds amazing. Yes. Cause I've totally heard about the, the movie and I don't think I actually watched it, but I always wanted to. So I forget about the book. So that's yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, to wrap things up, how can listeners connect with you, Parja? Oh yes. I love to hear from listeners. So if you're listening right now um, and you're not driving, take a screenshot of this uh, podcast. And if you head over to Instagram, that's where usually where I hang out. I'm at healthy.highriskpregnancy. Share this screenshot of this episode and tag me and tag April and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. I love, love, love hearing from people about that. Um, So that's where I am on Instagram at healthy.highriskpregnancy. And if you want to know more about my work, uh, listen to my podcast or buy my book or come join me in my program, you can do all of that at my website, which is my full name, parijatdeshpande.com. Awesome. That'll all be in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Parijat, for all you've shared and your experience and now how you're giving back. It's just truly incredible. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was such, so lovely talking to you today. Amazing. (laughs) 